Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and the Trump presidency for the New Spectator USA website. I'm joined today by Sarah Elliott, who is chair of uh, Republicans Overseas, the UK chapter. And we're going to be talking about Trump's state visit to Britain. So, Sarah, I'd say it's gone pretty well so far. That's what everyone seems to be saying. No major gaffes. And the dinner last night seems to have gone pretty well. Would you agree with me? Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, there was typical Trump reaction to uh, what I feel Sudeik Khan did on purpose to instigate a response from the president with his observer piece, calling him a fascist. Yeah. And Trump responded in Trump fashion, which actually made me laugh out loud. Um, and, and then we move on from that. Well, I actually think the Trump uh, Sadiq thing is part of the protocol now. It's it's almost a ritual that those yeah. two attack each other on Twitter. And um, if anything, I tried to say this yesterday on Spectators USA. I tried to say that if anything, Trump shouldn't really reduce himself to to Khan's bait. He shouldn't rise to the bait because I think maybe he thinks British mayors are more important because they are in America. They probably they probably mm. have more powers. Mm. Yeah. And that actually, it's probably, I mean, at this point, Sadiq Khan, the only time we hear about him, actually, is when he's doing nothing about knife crime yeah. or trying to troll President Trump. So perhaps President Trump got trolled himself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, Sadiq Khan's trying to make himself relevant, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, he's, he hasn't done an exceptional job in the city and he's rallying the base to himself. So what a better way than to call the UK's best ally a fascist? <laughs> yeah. And one thing I'm very interested in is this sort of weird symmetry between Trump and Brexit. And it's complete coincidence, really. But it, it seems, I mean, Nigel Farage might call it destiny, that you know, the day after the, the EU referendum, Trump arrives in Scotland. The day he comes here last year was the day that Theresa May's Chequers plan was published. And obviously, now he arrives again at a critical moment with Brexit. It does seem like the sort of, you know, the stars sort of align between Trump and Brexit all the time. Yeah, he has really good instincts. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can think he's dumb or, or in brilliant a genius. But I, I think what he definitely has is being able to read the moment yeah. uh, and have a pulse on what's, what the people are feeling and where things are going. And I think that's probably a large part of his success. But also, I he could also be coincidental because it just the last three years have been so exciting and there have been so many pivotal moments. Moments, that of course he was going to land a visit at a pivotal moment. Yeah. But I, I do think this is an incredible opportunity for this country. I mean, who would have thought uh, last summer that we would be kind of starting over with Brexit again? And and here we get to, okay, the withdrawal agreement, it's gone, right? And so now you can actually rethink how you want to um, be global Britain. And do you think, I mean, have you had word from uh, Republican Party sources that, that Trump is, today is going to be, if yesterday was the pageantry day, today is going to be the politics day. And is Trump going to make more of a deliberate intervention over Brexit today? There was a hint of it mm. in his speech last night when he talked about self-determination. Exactly. I mean, I think, and, and it's very American to take the stance as well. But, you know, he's a risk taker. Americans are risk takers by nature. And we think this is the best risk for the British people to take is to get out there and you you are an amazing country and the u.s ambassador talks about this all the time that the british people are good at everything and i know the brits don't really like to pump themselves up a lot and they're somewhat uncomfortable with american love and affection but we really do believe in your potential to to be the 
you are a global power and to be even more so. And and I think the president genuinely believes this and he has great affection for this country and he is half British himself, his mother's Scottish, and he wants to see an Anglo-American alliance continue through the 21st century because at the end of the day, we are unstoppable yeah. and we have never failed in any of our endeavors together and the world is a more prosperous and peaceful place when we are working together. And as an American in London, how do you feel about the way British people talk about Trump? I mean, do you do you, do you find it offensive? Do you find it wounding when people say what an awful man he is? Do you think the sort of protests are insulting to the special relationship? How, how do you feel? Yeah, I mean, I I just get annoyed. We're, we're three years in, and we know this is Trump, right? He's not going to change. Get over it. He's not British. He's not English. He doesn't have manners. Like, this is just not him, right? Even to Americans, get over it. But look at what he's doing. Look at his instincts. Look at look at what he's been right about. Look, look at what he's achieved. He's done more in two years than any president I can think of, probably since Reagan, uh, in the first two years in office. He's had a pretty Reagan-like administration with uh, tax cuts, deregulation. I think this country should actually adopt the this regulatory policy where for every new regulation you put forward, you scrap two. Yeah, a bonfire of, of, of the regulation is, is perhaps what Britain needs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And a, another interesting angle that might come up today is whether Trump will talk about Britain's role in what's now often called Russiagate. Um, mm. And there's been a bit of speculation that he will because it seems as though British spies, past and present, were very much involved in this attempt, what he now calls a hoax, to paint a picture of collusion between Russia and the Trump campaign that wasn't necessarily real. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think there's some I think there's some real concerns about the American intelligence agencies and to what extent with Christopher Steele, who is a former intelligence officer for the British, work together to one a spy on Trump the campaign. What was Obama's decision making in this process? What was his role? And, you know, this fear of a deep state, they're just, you know, where there's smoke, there might be fire. And I think it needs to be investigated. Well, so I sometimes think that, I mean, I can quite see that there were British spies, and of course, Christopher Steele was very involved. But I sometimes think this is almost the the conspiracy theory on the right, that's almost as hyperventilated as the conspiracy theory about Trump-Russia. But no, there were names that were actually revealed in FISA reports and the FISA courts. And I think, you know, innocent people, American citizens, and why was it? What was the evidence that the FISA courts judged on to say that, you know, Carter Page's name needed to be revealed and, and other Trump associates? What was the evidence that they, you know that their privacy was invaded. I, I, I think, and it gets really in the weeds, you know, and the media over here doesn't quite cover it. But I think that it is suspicious, and it should be of a concern. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because we hear a lot about how, you know, if Jeremy Corbyn becomes Prime Minister mm. here, that Britain, you know, that, that America will have to sort of withdraw Britain from the five eyes, the most special part of the special relationship because we will not be considered an ally on that front. And yet, you know, our intelligence at the moment doesn't seem to have been always aligned with American interests. Mm -hmm. I think... I think the big picture on the big level, you know, uh, 
uh, fight against terrorism, you know, um, human trafficking, um, you know, the, the black market, um, intelligence sharing, also e each other's economies. We all agree on these main basic principles. Also, we, you know, Western values, these are all things that we embrace, you know, but there are going to be differences because we are different countries. We, we, you know, we have a different look at the world. Um, and, and that's just natural. But in terms of being allies and, and facing the world together, I, I don't think America has a better ally than the UK. Well, I heard someone describe Trump yesterday as the last great American Anglophile, which I thought was quite an interesting idea that, I, I mean, the special relationship is very important and has been for a very long time. But inevitably, I think Britain and America may be pulled apart in the future. I hope not. I hope but, not. But I'd in, like to think I'm the last great Anglophile. <laughs> well, there's know. a few of you kicking it Yeah, I know. Yeah. Dan Hannon. Great. Dan. Right. <laughs> Out there. He's an Anglo-Americanophile. Yeah. yeah. But it's true that, I mean, there's something almost, you know, maybe it's just a sort of nostalgia, but that when you see sort of Trump in the White House, it's, it's evocative of a of a sort of 80s, 90s nostalgia for an era when we seem to be conquering the world together. Yeah, and I don't know why we can't keep doing it. Well, I mean, that's, that's I mean, is it? Is the British it? attitude is it's all over. <laughs> I know. I don't understand this whole kicking yourself down bit. I, I, I think you need some optimism, and this is your chance, you know, to be, you know, free trading and and out there, really connected to your Commonwealth, which you've been hamstrung a bit, not able to do, being part of the EU, and you can really go out and and, and create a future of your own. And in I, what I love about the British is you also assimilate and take in culture really well here and so I don't think you'll change your identity in this post-EU world I think you could even be more of your hospitable selves and you you know I kind of see the Americans as like bad cop and you guys are good cop mm. and so you you help us a tremendous amount on the soft diplomacy side so this is why we like you because you make us also more effective internationally and well it hasn't it, gone too well has it yeah, well no I think <laughs> it's it's always in the subtleties right with the English and it's always in between the lines and it, it and it does help you 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 do you play a great intermediary for us with many relationships around the world and and that just needs to keep going uh, and I wonder if if it's actually possible for the if if, if Brits have this self defeating attitude to to what we used to call the West. Uh, I still call it the West. Still call it the West. Are we well, not allowed to do that anymore? Well, I don't know. It feels like it's not really. There's no. There's not a West in the way that there was in the from the seventies to the nineties. Oh right. Where is that? I don't, I don't know. I don't think. I mean, what 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 does the West stand for now that isn't represented elsewhere? Well, I don't know. Well, I think if you compare us to the Middle East and the and the East, there's there's definitely yeah. differences there. I think we're we still stand for our same values. There are Western values still. Yeah, open mindedness, pluralism. You know, then you rule of law. Yeah, has that all changed? I hope not. Yeah, <laughs> I guess the God factors changed, right? Well, the 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 religion that informs those values, yeah, uh, has has is we're in a post-Christian world, perhaps. Now. Yes, I would yeah. agree. But then Trump is keen to talk about God. He talked about oh. God last night with the with the well, Queen. Do you know? And this has not been reported, but thanks to my Facebook and my American friends in the U.S., President Trump, the day before he left for the United Kingdom after finishing a round of golf, showed up at McLean Bible Church 
Church, one of the largest mega churches in Northern Virginia outside of Washington, and spontaneously showed up, walked out on stage, and the pastor prayed over him in front of everyone at the Bible Church. Well, and he also said that uh, Westminster Abbey was a special place Mm. yesterday. So maybe through his presidency, he's actually finding God. Well, I think he was supposed to have found God before that, wasn't he? Well, he did hold After up a Bible. After his second bi- marriage. <laughs> or was it his third marriage? He's on his third. He's on his third, but yes, he yes. found it before or during his third, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's promising. He held up uh, the Bible, remember? Do you remember this advert where he holds up the Bible and said, I've had this with me my whole life. My mother gave it to me. And then everyone kind of joked, well, has he ever opened it? Yeah. I mean, it's been with him. But, you know, I think, I, I don't know. I think this presidency is much more interesting than what's on the surface. And I I would challenge journalists and everyone out there to just dig a little deeper about what's going on, what makes them tick. You know, we've all read Art of the Deal kind of thing, but the, I think something bigger is going on here. And, and what's really interesting, which of course doesn't come up over here in the British side because it's too controversial, is that he's the first president in his first term to speak at pro-life rallies at the largest peaceful protest that happens every year on the coldest day of the year, the March for Life in January. And it has over a quarter of a million people and growing, mostly young people under the age of 18, marching to preserve life of the unborn. And he is the first president to address them in his first term. Reagan and George W. Bush addressed them in his second, in their second term. So that's, that's interesting, particularly with the legislation that is springing up mm. all over America. And actually, in Britain, the only way—I mean, the sort of—I think that the pro-life movement is quite strong in Britain, but it's never discussed really no. in the media. No. And I mean, the only thing you'll hear about Trump and abortion is that he's trying to take away women's reproductive rights. That's, Which, that's how you will. I, I was just on the radio show earlier with a woman saying this, and, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a very divisive issue. And I said, that's not entirely true. Mm. He's putting constitutional judges into places to read the Constitution as our founders intended. But that doesn't mean that Roe v. Wade is threatened. Obviously, the left sees it that way, but um, that's, there's no, it's not clear that Roberts or Gorsuch or Kavanaugh would ever rule against Roe v. Wade. No, and in fact, Kavanaugh seems to be yeah. less pro-life than a lot of people believed. Well, I think he's an institutionalist like Roberts. I right. think he believes in, you know, the process and the rule of law and precedent that sets at the Supreme Court. We already have two major Supreme Court decisions that have pretty much set this into law. So, I, you know, it's not a guarantee. And in America, we also have states' rights at a, f- a federal level. And it should, you know, the whole idea behind states' rights is it should reflect the people who, the laws should reflect the people who live there. And Alabama is very different than New York. Well, we will talk about it more uh, in the future. We'll move back to Mr. Trump. Well, let's talk about something uh, completely superficial, like the pageantry of the monarchy. There's interesting speculation that Prince Harry was avoiding Trump yesterday. He stayed on the other side of the room. He gave him some dirty looks. I think this shows that uh, the British monarchy is under the thumb of a brash, um, is kowtowing to a brash American outsider, but it isn't Donald Trump. No. It is Meghan Markle. It is a woke It is outs- a woke outsider. outsider which yeah. is the worst kind, actually. Yes. Yeah, well, he, he yes, he definitely loves his Meghan, and I, we have all seen changes in Harry since then. But Agree agree with you there. But uh, what, so, I mean, what, what, what does that say about Trump, that he is, I mean, he didn't actually say 
that she's nasty. You know, he said, I wasn't aware that she could be nasty. What was the, what was the exact quote? I mean, it, it, like all Trump things, you can read it one way yeah, or the I, other. I, no, he said, I did, this is what I also, the media has really gotten under my skin about this. Because he said, I didn't know she said nasty things about me. Yeah. Something like that. And then he said, I actually think she'll make a great American princess. Yeah, she said he'll do excellently. Yeah, yeah excellently. She'll do, an, she'll do a good job. Is that a new job, word? Excellently? Which, that's Trump is always inventing new words. Okay. No, I mean, he said she'd do a good job, which is yeah. the, the Trump compliment, it was very, the standard Trump compliment. <laughs> he was, and if you listen to the audio, he's very mild-mannered and and tempered, He, you know, and of course the, the headlines make it out to seem much more than it is. Which is, I find interesting because we always think of the, we like to think of ourselves, we're quite a vain people, as very polite. You are. And actually, you know, Trump, this supposedly rude, rude president, has been... Fairly unfailingly polite, particularly yeah. on this trip. Yeah. And if anything, uh, we're the ones being rude and unpleasant. I have to agree with you, Freddie. I have to agree with you on this one. And I, I these these protesters are really are really annoying me because I think that one they're taking advantage of all the media attention to put their you know anti capitalist causes out there and and they they just play like word bingo, you know. It, well, I don't mind so much about the protesters because you know I think they're silly fundamentally. You know, the blimp yeah, they is silly. Are, it is all silly. And also, they don't seem to care that much. That's the other thing. For them, it's funny. You know, they actually. I mean, they think it's satire. Yesterday, we saw Assad Raymond the stop the yeah. Trump coat. We both oh, saw yes. him. And he he chuckles when he sees Trump. I saw him chuckle at looking yeah. at Trump on the screen a couple of times. And for them, it's, you know, of course, they can feign horror at various things. Yes. But they also enjoy the theatre of his absurd ridiculousness. Yes. And but they take I, advantage of it. But I think it's sort of away from the protests, which are, which are silly and actually not that big. I don't think. And a waste of money. And a terrible waste of money. Well, I mean, the security is also a, a terrible expense. But the, the the thing that I find actually quite rude is the is our political leaders mm, um, yeah. kind of grandstanding against him. And, you know, people say it's what about free, but you, you do have to point out you don't do this for other leaders who are much mm-hmm. worse. And the Queen has had to suffer far bigger indignities than being nice to Donald Trump. Exactly. And what the Chinese president coming, Erdogan coming. Mohammed bin Salman, who chops up journalists. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I mean, where were, yeah, where was the press really going after that when well, he was here? At the time, the, the, the PR was that bin Salman was making Saudi Arabia a more oh, modern. modern and liberal place. Yeah, I mean, it's so hypocritical. And if Jeremy Corbyn wants to be prime minister, he's going to have to deal with people he doesn't like. And he just needs to get over it. But, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking out loud here, but I'm wondering if he's doing these protests and everything because Labour suffered such huge losses around the country and his only base of support is the metropolitan elite. And this is where he can, you know, help bolster the direction he's taking the the party you know, I think a lot of his Labour supporters up north uh, are quite happy that President Trump is here. And I think he should be singing a different tune, but he's in as isolated as LinkedIn bubble. And I think I, I agree instinctively with what you say, and certainly everybody I meet, particularly outside London, tends to be much more warm about President Trump than you'd expect. But the polling never suggests that. And I wonder whether mm. people are actually afraid to tell yeah. pollsters yeah. that they think... Because they don't want to be called a fascist. Yeah. They don't want to be called a racist, misogynist, um, 
that sort of thing. I mean, I, I, I just think Trump derangement syndrome, you've got to, you've got to be rational about Trump. There's good Trump, there's bad Trump. You have to, you have to be somewhat objective when you analyze this. Listen, I didn't like the guy in the primary at all. I supported Marco Rubio. I was very publicly a never Trumper. I really listened to the intellectuals on the right as to who to vote for. I thought he was deceiving evangelicals. But, you know, he's really come through on his promises and also on main, you know, pretty basic Republican principles such as limited government and tax reform, which we haven't been able to do since Reagan. And I've liked him on foreign policy for the most part. He's taking stabs at China and North Korea and immigration. He acted in Syria and Afghanistan. Most stupid thing he did, in my opinion. Oh. Syria. Syria. Okay. Going after the... Totally throwing pointless virtue signaling missiles that okay. didn't mean, do anything. Okay. But I expect we disagree on. Yeah. On foreign I mean, policy. then you have Obama who did nothing at all. So. Well, I don't know. He started know. a pretty disastrous war in well, Libya. Well, that's what I. <laughs> yeah. well, nothing beneficial, I should say. So we could go on, but I did, I guess I challenged the listener to uh, get beyond the headlines and and look at what he's actually doing. And it'd be very good if more British people did that, I think. Yeah. And on that note, Sarah, I think we'll end it. But thank you very much for coming in. Thanks. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Americano. If you want to give us feedback about this podcast or any Spectator podcast, you can email podcasts at spectator.co.uk and give us some praise, preferably, or constructive criticism. But rude people can go away. (laughs) 